Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Democratic socialism to me, I believe that human beings, especially in a wealthy, democratic, civilized society like our own, are entitled to certain basic rights. So let me be very clear, and I'm sure we'll discuss it later in the show, Brett. I believe that healthcare is a human right, not a privilege. This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Take it away, Benny J. Ben Jarofsky here. It's bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. Let's see what date is. Ah, here we go. Friday, October 4th. 2009. I always have to look at 2019. I always have to look at the newspapers, man, to find out what the date is because I can never remember, especially at the, after the end of a long day. At the end of a long day, uh, but of course, this is a bonus. So who knows when you'll be hearing this? Uh, as always, on bonus time, I ask my guest, my distinguished guest, uh, to introduce themselves, him or herself. And so I'm going to. Add, I got guest A and guest B in the studio. I'm going to start with guest A. Introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Miles Camp Lassen. I'm the web editor at In These Times magazine. I'm also a contributor to other publications, including Jacobin. Um, written for plenty of other places. I've been a lifelong Chicagoan and uh, love to talk politics here. Guess two. I'm Micah Utrecht. I'm the managing editor of Jacobin magazine, which is a socialist magazine. I uh, live here in Chicago. We're based in New York. Uh, wrote a book about the Chicago Teachers Union called Strike for America, Chicago Teachers Against Austerity a couple years ago. Also co-wrote a forthcoming book called Bigger Than Bernie uh, with Jacobin staff writer Megan Day. And I am the host of a podcast for Jacobin called The Vast Majority. Yes, and thank you, gentlemen. Long-time listeners to the show uh, recognize these names. They're on the show all the time. Uh, Miles is a regular Thursday. He's our Thursday media panelist. For 10 trivia points, can you name the other media panelists that appear on the Ben Jarofsky Show on a regular basis? Well, uh, I know um, Maya from The Reader uh, and Monroe Anderson. There we go. And the fourth is Ramana Hussein of the Sun-Times. Very good. Someone give him 10 trivia points. Okay, I'll I'll take it. Off to an early lead. One of the things we were going to do today, we're going to have a little fun here every now and then. Uh, Dennis is going to throw a trivia question. We had a trivia contest last week. We're going to do it again, but for reasons, we're going to do it a little differently uh, today. Uh, So every now and then, Dennis will interrupt and see uh, uh, which, which one of these fellows knows more about Bernie Sanders than the other. And that's generally the topic we're having uh, today. Uh, Miles and Micah make it clear that 
well, hey, I don't know if you guys officially, quote unquote, have endorsed Bernie Sanders, but you definitely endorse uh, his worldview and his positions. Is that correct? Yeah, that's accurate. I mean, nobody cares whether or not we as individuals have officially endorsed Bernie Sanders, but we are both out there on the doors from him. I just, uh, on the way here, you know, carved Bernie's name into some wet cement, Bernie 2020. <laughs> so that's that's even Wait, stronger you, than an endorsement. You carved it? That was me, yeah. Oh, I just thought you saw <laughs> No, I did that. <laughs> I did not know you did that. Or maybe I shouldn't say, admit that on there. Somebody uh, did that. I saw that. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Here come the police. Lock the door. Uh, somebody did it. It wasn't me. I swear it wasn't me. Uh, anyway, and, uh, and Miles is uh, often thrust into the role here when he comes on Thursdays to uh, defend something Bernie Satter did. So uh, we're talking Bernie, and there's a lot of reasons to talk Bernie uh, at the top of the list. Bernie uh, had an operation. Was it, I've lost track of time. Today is Friday. Was it Tuesday? Yeah, the operation. Wednesday. Wednesday. Thing. Damn it! Oh. stop. All right. If that was a trivia way question. to know your days, Miles. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember because uh, as uh, you know, I talked about on the show this past week. It was uh, my birthday on Wednesday, and the uh, first thing I saw when I woke up is Bernie Sanders in the right. hospital. I was like, oh no. So, uh, <laughs> any updates? I've been in the bubble all day. Any updates on Bernie's health? Well, I can just give a, you know, as, as far as we know, the the most recent uh, information is that he's fine, essentially, that he, you know, he got a couple stents put in his heart, he had a blocked um, artery, he did not have a heart attack, as some, you know, people are wildly claiming, he just felt some chest pain and went in and got uh, this procedure done, he's supposed to be out uh, the hospital this weekend and uh, back on the campaign trail, he's expected and has announced he's going to participate in the upcoming debate on October 15th. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, initially the campaign had actually pulled uh, uh, some money from uh, ad buy they did in Iowa for their um, big debut television ad, um, people got worried about that, I think, you know, somewhat understandably, but, you know, the reason that they did that is because they want to have uh, the candidate on the ground, and so they're re- they're uh, repurchasing that ad buy, and they're going to uh, start those ads up again. He's expected to be back on the campaign trail, and while the media might be wringing its hands about, uh, you know, what does this mean for his candidacy? Is it imperiled? All these, you know, wild speculations. Uh, all indications are that uh, his health is fine. He's got a, you know, clean bill as far as we know, and that this is a very normal uh, procedure that happens every day in America. Yeah, and I, it's hard to really assess what's going on here because the, there's this coverage of his health issues, but it's from the same outlets that have been so vicious to him throughout the entire campaign that have really written off his campaign. I mean, there's a million examples of, you know, outlets just doing all kinds of wild mental acrobatics to avoid saying that, you know, Bernie is in second or in the polls or that Bernie raised the most money. I saw a screen capture today from MSNBC that was talking about, uh, you know, the battle for a second over who raised the most money. You know, Biden and and, uh, Warren, you know, Warren edges out uh, Biden for, uh, you know, most money uh, in, in the second place spot conveniently forgetting to uh, mention who was in first, which was Bernie Sanders. So his campaign has has repeatedly drawn attention to this uh, claim, which which seems pretty undeniable to me, that the mainstream media in particular is really uh, biased against him and his socialist candidacy and is not treating him as a serious candidate, even when he's polling extremely well, you know, is going back and forth between the one, two, and three slot, is raising more money than anyone else, has more individual donors than anyone else, uh, is clearly a actually extremely serious candidate for president this time around, uh, but the media class doesn't treat him as such. 
media class. Let's get into that a little bit. Uh, what Actually, do you before we get into that, let's do our first trivia question. Oh, what okay. do you say? Go ahead. All yeah, right, let's go. do it. All right. So since uh, Miles has already got 10 points, <laughs> we're going to start with Micah. Wait, what was this 10 points for? Oh, oh he knew the guess. Yeah, right. Okay. What a host <laughs> we have here. You asked the question. It was 7.5, but whatever. Let's give him 10. All right. Right. He's got 10. He's got 10. All right. So we're going to uh, give the first uh, shot to Micah here. The question, all these Bernie Sanders uh, related questions. This is multiple choice. All right. Let's see here. Okay. Bernie Sanders once ran for mayor of Burlington, Vermont, using the slogan, A, Burlington, America's biggest small town. B, Burlington is not for sale. C, Burlington won't take it anymore. Or D, Burlington deserves better. I believe that's B. He says B. I can't remember. What was B? <laughs> B was Burlington is not for sale. So let me check here on the score and find out what it is here. Hang tight with me here. All right, it was Burlington is not for sale. Well, the guy wrote a book about him. <laughs> See, I read Bernie's Correct. first book not once but twice, so I I, I know the the Burlington days. So a Miles, bit. you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I told say, you to read it. I've told you multiple times you got to read that. It's a I, great I, read. I want to say I, I I embrace the underdog status in this <laughs> face off. I have not written a book about Bernie Sanders, but uh, but I must mention, that, as I told Ben earlier, that when I wrote this book on Bernie Sanders, at one point I was reading the Wikipedia page. And who did I find in the footnotes for two separate articles, not once but twice, Miles Camp Lassen. So I'm not in the footnotes. I I, I want to just say that's Micah's attempt to rid himself of the favorites uh, Mm -hmm. category. Everybody wants to be the underdog. Everyone wants to take shots at who's number one. So (laughs) you don't don't want to be at that number one spot early on. The score is tied 10 to 10. All right. You'll interrupt us next time with the next question. Uh, I did not know the answer to that. I was like, whoa. you got to read his first book. It has to do with uh, his first candidacy and his first term as mayor of Burlington. A lot of what he did was prevent prevented these private developers from taking over the lakefront and made and the waterfront and made sure that for Lake Champlain and made sure that it actually was still a public good and it continues to be so, so to you this knew day. the answer as well you could have gotten I, it correct I, well I didn't get I, I, well he knew the spirit of, of Bernie's uh, mayoralty yeah. in, in Burlington uh, and do you ever see that bit that um, Trevor Noah did about Bernie from his days uh, as mayor of <laughs> the cable access show right yeah I'm just laughing thinking about it. he was the cable access host and he was so Serious. He would be interviewing these little kids. And He's like, "You got? How about cocaine? You guys know about cocaine?" He's talking to like eight-year-olds. <laughs> it was so inappropriate. His questions. He was asking the little kids, but it was like he could, only Bernie could get away with it. Oh yeah, do you know about? By the way, not a bad imitation there, young Micah. Spend a lot of time doing it. Uh, when he's not writing books about Bernie, apparently he's imitating Bernie. There's also a great uh, uh, scene from that show. I think it was Bernie Talks to the Community is called, and where he talks to these goths at the mall in <laughs> Burlington. <laughs> it's just a great mall. scene because it's like, you know, it's, this is 1980s goths, so they have incredible style and, you know, Bernie just weirdly asking them strange questions about government but he takes them seriously in that clip yeah no he does and it's actually it's actually kind of revealing because he talks to them about why they like hate the system and are mad at society and legitimate questions all right micah you were talking before uh, the the trivia break a media class what do you mean by media class and what's the what in relation particularly in relation to bernie sanders well i think that sometimes when 
people make critiques like this of the media, they think of it as, uh, I don't know, some kind of conspiracy theory mongering about like, there's like Jeff Bezos is somewhere like pulling the strings and is on the phone with editors like saying, you can cover this and not this, and you can talk about this issue that way, but not this way. Uh, I don't think that's what goes on at all. But I do think that uh, in the mainstream media in particular in the United States, uh, they serve a function uh, and and are ultimately accountable uh, to you know the forces of corporate power. Uh, you know, if you work for MSNBC or for the New York Times or for CNN, where does where do these outlets make their money from? They make it from corporate advertising outlets, and uh, you 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 know you have to sort of toe a certain line in order to make sure that you don't lose uh, corporate funding. But you're also just sort of inculcated in the idea that what is good for corporate America is is what's good for. Uh, America and that you know somebody like Bernie Sanders comes along and you, and you can see over and over there's a million examples of the mainstream media not treating his candidacy as a serious candidate he's the sort of the sideshow you might even get some people admitting once in a while that he's making some good points but like this is he is not a serious candidate for presidency of the United States of America and you you know you see it in uh, the the way that the New York Times and their reporter Sidney Ember who's covered him closely and has is always writing in a super derisive tone about Bernie. Bernie, um, always leaving out, you know, the, the facts about fundraising or polling that make him look good and, and playing up the parts of it that make him look bad. Um, so, you know, this is this is true, uh, not just of a, of a presidential candidate like Bernie, but it's also true of the way that the corporate media treats, you know, working class movements and, and uh, you know, uh, unions and social movements and all of it. Uh, it's it, it just doesn't, you know, it, it, it fundamentally assumes the position of, of a sort of more corporate friendly readership rather than one uh, that, that believes in more egalitarian values. Well, I think the other thing is that there's... Um as you said, uh, inculcated, you know, people are, they're within the beltway world or they're within the media world. And those tend to be different people than people that come out of, um, the working class, you know, as people that are highly educated, that people that are, you know, spend much of their lives going to, um, in, in, you know, journalism circles and high end media circles, they don't tend to share the same, uh, concerns as working class people. I mean, that's not to say, I mean, I'm in the media too, in, in a way, but you know, the, the, the type of folks that are anchors or at least contributors on MSNBC or CNN, they're, you know, they're the chattering classes. They have different, uh, views of how politics should run. And a lot of it is about normalcy and Bernie Sanders does not represent normalcy. You know, he represents a break in a way that, you know, uh, is very different and the opposite, really. But in the same way, kind of Trump represented that. And I think that's one of the reasons that you see. um, I was just watching uh, Meet the Press the other day, and uh, Chuck Todd said at the end of the show, the race right now is really between Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden and just, you know, said that. And of course, if you're watching that, you, that's what you believe. That's, you know, that's the message you're getting without, uh, you know, seeing the fact that it's not a two way race by any means. Look at any poll, you know, look at the uh, fundraising numbers that just came out. So um, I think that that is definitely a real dynamic that's playing out. And it goes to show like, you know, the people that are donating to Bernie Sanders campaign are, are teachers. The biggest employer of them is Walmart. Like these are not the same type of people that are the, the reflected in mainstream media by and large. So I completely agree that there is definitely a media bias at play. Do you think uh, it's funny that you're talking about a media bias because generally uh, the claim of media bias comes from the right. 
and that's a favorite refrain uh, from conservatives I can, I can, going back for years now uh, in, in our city, uh, John Cass, who write, writes a column for the Tribune, is constantly talking about the liberal media and how reporters are liberal and uh, how that drives their coverage. Um, but you're talking about a bias that goes against the left. And uh, so what do you think? Do you think that um, the, the Cass and uh, the right have a point? Uh, I mean, it's, you're sort of echoing their argument. I'm just w- wondering, you know, do you, or, are you just disgruntled at the coverage your guy is getting and you don't think it's fair enough or? Well, no, as, as I was saying that I think this is reflective across all kinds of, it's not just about one candidate. It's about how the mainstream media approaches news in general. I mean, someone like Cass and the rest of the right who make this critique about a liberal media, uh, make that critique so that reporters walk around on eggshells terrified to say anything that might smack of any kind of uh you know quote-unquote pro-liberal or pro-progressive uh bias even when the facts might reflect that that more progressive uh analysis of things um so you know they they make that critique just to put us all on the on the back on our back feet and be very worried about uh you know uh being shown to be have a liberal bias or whatever i don't think it's wrong that most of the mainstream media has a sort of center left bias like a liberal bias um you know, I think that is the, that's the kind of milieu of people who are, are reporters and anchors and stuff. Uh, but, you know, th- these people, <laughs> many of them are actually more hostile to leftists like me, socialists like me, uh, than they are to conservatives. That they think that, you know, there's a sort of like fundamental, you know, bifurcation. There's sort of liberals on one side and conservatives on the other. And then people who believe in uh, socialism are sort of beyond the pale. They're not even, they shouldn't even be allowed into polite conversation, right? They're, they're, talking about something that's just so crazy that we don't we don't even not even going to give that the the time of day and you can you know you can see you're not going to find a whole lot of socialist commentators on cnn or msnbc and in fact if you watch msnbc their commentators are saying the wildest stuff about bernie uh not just like slight omissions of facts but like oh bernie sanders makes my skin crawl as somebody on there said a couple weeks ago or if you support bernie sanders over elizabeth warren the only reason you might you would do that is because you are a sexist person uh you know you hear the wildest stuff on msnbc uh that really has this sort of rabid anti-left anti-leftist anti-socialist bias um and you know i i would not i would not want to say that i agree with john cass uh i I definitely do not agree with john cass because john cass probably would not want a socialist like me to get a little more airtime talking about what i actually believe but i do think there is a kind of like center left pro corporate pro free market kind of bias that's out there uh that that really but 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 that manifests at least right now in a sort of anti-socialist way rather than an anti-conservative way and i also uh, i agree with that but i think that there's uh the way that it plays out is, you know, you, you see it when then the coverage of the CTU strike here in Chicago as well. The mainstream outlets, by and large, are kind of repeating the same type of talking points that um, the bosses are putting out and essentially and saying, you know, this is about greedy teachers. This is and it doesn't reflect the way that, you know, most people feel and certainly not the way that the, you know, the, the teachers voices aren't represented. And that's true in terms of, you know, the type of people that are invited on to these cable news shows to 
pontificate about their views on the uh, the race. They're not, you know, working class people. They're not generally public school teachers or, you know, fast food workers. And that's probably because they're not in the media class. So they're not, they don't get a say at the table, essentially. And when you have uh, a moment like this, where there's, you know, progressive policies are exploding in terms of popularity across the country, and people are clearly open to um, as somebody who openly identifies as a democratic socialist and talks about extending um, democracy and um, human rights into the economic realm where we're, you know, providing basic uh, needs like housing and education um, and health care as rights, um, that th- the, those views are still treated as um somehow not representing the views of the mass population of America that they're, you know, belittled essentially. And that is, I think it's to the media's detriment as well, because it's just, it basically reifies this idea that people like John Cass are talking about that the media doesn't represent where people are at because, you know, the media is kind of good at talking about certain social issues in a liberal way, you know, and I think that that's part of the reason that they've gotten that stigma is because, you know, being talking about about, you know, using pronouns and basic, you know, things in terms of extending social rights. But when it comes to economic rights or economic populism, that's the thing that really um, does not get a, a fair say, I think, in media. And that's too bad because that would do a lot more to meet people where they're at working people. Most people in America are working class people. There are people that are, you know, going through the same struggles of trying to pay their bills, going into bankruptcy because of medical debt. And, you know, there's obviously there's a, a candidate who's talking about that every day. And that's not shocking that he's not getting a a, a fair shift. One, one of the things that I see mentioned uh, all the time uh, in in relation to uh, Bernie Sanders, it, it come, it's a criticism that I hear from mainstream centrist uh, Democratic politicians, uh, their supporters, and I see it in uh, uh, columns all the all the time in, in newspapers, etc. Uh, it's not it's not realistic. I hear this all the time. It's not realistic. What Bernie is advocating is not realistic. And I'm curious what you're, we talk so much about what code words in politics. And I have a sense that when people, when mainstream Dems say Bernie's unrealistic or what he's advocating is unrealistic, they're, they're saying something without saying something. I've been thinking about this for a while. Curious what your thoughts are. We'll start with you, Micah. When they say it's unrealistic, do you have a sense that there's a code word or some, a subterranean message that they're really saying the real message is to tamp down people's expectations about what government can do for them what their lives could look like in the wealthiest country in the world it's to you know make an argument i mean it's essentially to excuse themselves as democrats from having to make really bold political claims fight for things that are t- that, that'll be difficult to pry out of the hands of very powerful and very wealthy people um and in, in a way it, it yeah it sort of like exculpates them from having to wage that fight in order to change that political terrain um and you know what we've seen of the democratic party especially over the last three decades or so or, or longer is that uh it's not a party who is rip roaring for a fight with really powerful elements of our society the the sort of power elite of the society um and so to and that helps to me that's what has helped lead to a figure like trump emerging because you're not hearing from 
the Democratic Party, which is supposed to be the party of working people, uh, the party that, that fights for the little guy and little gal. And that's not what we see from them. We see people, uh, we, see, we see them, you know, buying into the same kind of free market rhetoric as the right wing. Uh, we see them not fighting for things uh, as hard as, the, as they could uh, on things like uh, Medicare for all. Uh, you know, we, they just see that the, the, the world is sort of getting worse and, and that this party is not putting like really planting a flag and saying, like, here is our moral vision. Here's the what the world we believe here, the world that we want to live in. Here's what it looks like. And here's how we're going to fight for it. That doesn't happen. That's we don't get that from from anybody in the Democratic Party. Um, and it, it wasn't until Bernie Sanders came along and sort of said to people, like, no, we are the wealthiest country in the world. We can have a society where people live in dignity where they aren't being you know going into you know, declaring bankruptcy over medical debt where they're not taking on two hundred thousand dollars of student loans where you know we're not uh, invading uh, you know a new country every couple of years and killing hundreds of thousands of people like we do not have to live like this the world can look better than this and that's something that they have not heard from the mainstream of the democratic party in a very long time i think when um these figures point out uh ideas that you know bernie sanders isn't realistic it's um you know that's it's not just a code word it effectively is uh stating that what they then consider realistic is the status quo and that has meant you know stagnant wages for 40 years as you know we saw recently with this new census data inequality is at its highest point in america in 50 years at least um, but also there's millions of people without health care. Um, there's people, you know, that die every day because they can't afford to go to a doctor. There's abortion rights that are under attack. We have a racist criminal justice system. All the elements that have been of our society that have been called out um, recently, not just by Bernie Sanders by any means, but by this whole host of new, you know, uh, left wing um, challengers that have run and won across the country from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to Ilan Omar. You know, we've seen this time and again to uh, many of the folks that just won city council races here in Chicago that are calling out this type of, it's not just corruption, you know, it's baked in to a system that uh, really lifts up uh, corporate profits and, you know, in, feigned in terms of, you know, lifting up entrepreneurism or something. But really, that means protecting the wealth and therefore the power of a very small group of people in our society. And they're the people that have had control under both Democratic and Republican administrations for a long time. So having a break with that in order to create a more equitable society where we don't have a massive bloated military budget, and but yet we do have, you know, universal health care and, you know, provide a federal jobs guarantee and things like that, that doesn't seem realistic to people who have the, they, the, the frontiers of what they think politics can accomplish is extremely narrow. And it benefits people like themselves, you know, that are in more comfortable economic positions. And I think that that's just a very sad way to think about political expectations in our, in our current time. Well, and there's also benefits people like Trump at this point, because Trump did not win the election saying nothing's going to fundamentally change. He didn't try to tamp down people's expectations. He threw out the wildest stuff yeah. he's going to do. I'm going to build a wall. Like, yeah. I'm going to just do whatever. He said, gonna... I'm going to give everybody health care, too. <laughs> he said all kinds of stuff. But he was putting forward a, a different vision of a society. He said, he didn't say, well, you know, we, we should do some things here, but, like, it's just not realistic for us to accomplish this season. He said, no, I'm going to build a dang wall. You know, I don't care what the logistics of it. I'm going to do it. And people are like, wow, this guy clearly is going to shake things 
things up, shake up the status quo. And people clearly want that in some form or another. And, uh, you know, I think that when people are in that mood, as I think I've said on the show before, you can either excite them through making the, all these kind of racist and xenophobic appeals, or you can put forward a, a clear version, a vision of a, a better world that, that doesn't blame immigrants and that, that actually provides for people and doesn't bomb brown people abroad. And, and just, it, it, it's a, it's a better version. You can shake up the establishment and that's the sort of choice we have to make at this point. And I don't think that people who are constantly trying to tamp down our expectations are going to excite anybody. Uh, by the way, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, Dennis, Micah was edging toward a Trump imitation and then he backed <laughs> off. That's actually true. He was like sneaking. To, he's going to do his Trump and he goes, uh, better not. And, and, he, and when, he talks, when he talks Bernie, he kind of gets into it a little Listen, bit too. And he Trump, Trump doesn't deserve my energy yeah. put into the... Almost yeah. there. Yeah. No, I don't want to do it. All right, fellas, it's time for our round two Ooh. of our Bernie Sanders trivia contest. Okay. For those keeping track at home, it's a tie. 10 to 10. Miles Complassen. Camp Lassen, I've learned. Been yeah. saying it wrong ever since I've known you. It's time for your next trivia question here. You're going to get it here. Hopefully you can. Our next question. In December... Oh, wait, hold on. We got an update from MSNBC. Hold on. MSNBC says, Bernie hates puppies and kittens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, they are out to get that guy. Wait, hold Another... And babies. <laughs> Holy cow. Oh, come on, Rachel Maddow. <laughs> All right. Time for the question. In December 2010... <laughs> Bernie Sanders spoke on the Senate floor for eight hours straight against A, continuing the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, B, global warming, C, tax breaks for the rich, or D, the Citizens United Supreme Court decision. Um, I believe it was C, the tax cuts for the rich. Miles Camp, got to get that right. Miles Camp Lassen says taxing or tax breaks for the rich. That's correct. That's correct. Beautiful. Wow. It was actually they were extending the Bush, the Bush tax cuts, I believe, um, and it was such an egregious um, giveaway to the Republicans. Obviously, you know Obama was uh, in office at that time, and Obama signed off on this uh, massive giveaway that extended the Bush tax cuts to the richest Americans. It was so egregious. Even Diane Feinstein, one, certainly not a progressive <laughs> Democrat, was coming out against it. And Bernie did this uh, this filibuster where he spoke for that long. And there's a whole book of it. You you can buy, I'm pretty sure, called The Speech, right? That's all, mm -hmm. all about that. So, um, and I can I just say, you know, I get in Facebook, you know, this day in your personal history, you know, what you said on this day in 2011, 2012, and I got in my history for whatever that was, December 2011, I posted a picture of Bernie doing the, the filibuster and I wrote Bernie for Prez. So, 2011. I was on Ahead top of, of the it. curve. All right. I just have some breaking news. Literally, I mean, it's really hard to break news uh, when you're doing a podcast that won't drop <laughs> for another two days. So this will be ancient news by the time you actually hear this. Uh, but this is coming across uh, the wires right now. And I'm reading it from the New York Times, the aforementioned Sidney Ember. And here's the, I'll just read this story. Cerny, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders had a heart attack this week, his campaign said on Friday, as he was released from a Las Vegas hospital, quote, after two and a half days in the hospital, I feel great. And after taking a short time off, I look forward to getting back to work, Sanders said in a statement. His doctors said in the statement that after Sanders experienced chest pains on Tuesday night, he was giving a diagnosis of a myocardial infarction 
wow, or heart attack. Let's just call it heart attack. Uh, the campaign, his campaign has said on Thursday that Sanders would return to his home in Burlington, Vermont by the end of the week. It was not immediately clear on Friday when he would fly home. The senator, one of the leading contenders for the Democratic president, presidential nomination. Uh, that's not bad, Micah. Mm-hmm. One of the leading contenders. Uh, they, at least she didn't write the senator, who's dead last. Nah, Rachel Maddow didn't write it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Anyway, I'm just serious here. The senator uh, experienced chest discomfort during a campaign event on Tuesday evening. A medical evaluation found a blocked artery and two stents were inserted uh, following the cancellation, da-da-da, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, and uh, here we go. Mr. Sanders had been polling in the top tier of the Democratic primary race behind former Vice President Joseph Biden and Elizabeth Warden, uh, Warren. And Mr. Sanders' staff is trying to project optimism about his candidacy. But the incident has cast a shadow over his campaign, just as he was attempting to reinvigorate it after a summer slump that saw his standing in the polls slip. Hoping to reverse course, he had recently begun to focus more on on his electability, arguing that he is the candidate best positioned to beat President Trump uh, in the general election. The medical episode has also renewed scrutiny on this age uh, in a primary whose top candidates are all in their 70s. In addition to Sanders, Biden is 76, Warren is 70, Trump is 73. So I'm not quite sure. I'm no doctor. I don't pretend to be a doctor. know very little about uh, medicine. Uh, uh, pretty much all I know is I hate going to the doctor's office. So I'm not quite sure what the distinction is between saying coming right out saying he had a heart attack and having the procedure. But I know in people's minds that just the, the words heart attack is a scary thing, particularly when the gentleman in question is, um, what, 78 years old. So anyway, uh, that's the latest breaking news. I'm not sure what to make of it. Um, let's generalize things then and move a little far away from Bernie himself. I'm not trying to be a total bummer here, but I'm feeling <laughs> a little bummed out right now. Um, well, that is, I mean, that that's different from what we had been told before. You know, the, there had been surrogates saying that it's not, uh, wasn't a heart attack. So, but I mean, you know, it's, uh, I, I brought this up before, you know, my dad I'd make it personal my dad had a um heart attack himself uh, a number of years ago and had stents put in um and you know because of a, a blockage and i know, you know as you made the point my dad is not running for president but uh he was uh you know released from the hospital within days and felt you know far better afterwards because in many ways you know when you have a blockage like that you know opening it up is uh much, much beneficial to your health and a lot of people have that happen earlier um, in life than, than where, uh, Senator Sanders is at, you know, is Bill Clinton in 2010 had stents put in, he had previously had a, you know, bypass surgery on his heart. So, and we should also say that there's, it's common, you know, the, the Joe Biden and had an aneurysm in 1998 or 1988 where that almost, you know, took his, took his life. So health scares are very real and they're, um, uh, important parts of, you know, life. And now we think about, you know, candidacies and everything, but, uh, again, getting, uh, stents put in is still a pretty, you know, regular it is procedure. a major thing. And, 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 uh, it, it, I mean, there's so many issues embedded in this because, when you're in the middle of a campaign, follow me on this, when you're in the middle of a campaign uh, and 
you know, any little thing can derail your campaign. And years from now, people go by, that's where they went off the track. You know, you guys read so many books and articles that analyze elections. And, and there's like the thing he right. said that he shouldn't said, or right. The thing he said that really propelled him like Kamala Harris in that first debate made herself one of the leading candidates by virtue of the fact that she was able to, to get a good couple shots in on Biden. Then she took a couple shots in the next debate. She's right back to where she started from. So you know how it goes. And so uh, the, it, it's the notion of Bernie Sanders at age 78 having any kind of medical procedure is going to, quote unquote, hurt his campaign. There's no doubt about it. And you could see the campaign <clears throat> struggling with that to project optimism about him, the man's health and his campaign and how he's a vibrant person at the same time, not wanting to lie. Yeah. And, and you could just, I could just see the struggle miles. I could just see it in the way they were responding. And, uh, I'm like, I, I reminded me this is before your time, but, uh, in, in the, in the middle of a race, for county board president in Cook County, uh, John Stroger, who was the incumbent, had a stroke and he was incapacitated, went to the hospital. He's running against a guy named Forrest Claypool and uh, who was running as a quote unquote reformer, uh, quotes, air quotes. And um, uh, the, the Stroger camp put out the fact that John Stroger was in great shape and he was doing fine. And it later turned out that he was pretty much in a coma. And I'm I voted for him anyway, but uh, <laughs> a lot of people did. And yeah, he won. He won. Uh, so and his son it. got the seat. His son got the seat. Todd Stroger. Anyway, the rest is history. So I'm really. I just did, just to plug myself. I uh, wrote a long profile of Forrest Claypool actually for Jacobin called Chicago's Fountainhead. Uh, it was <laughs> set off. He, yeah. he, lo- he loves he loves Ayn Rand. So uh, you know, check that out. Uh, anyway, I am sending out nothing but positive vibrations to the great Bernie Sanders. Um, all right, let's let's talk about. Uh, it, it, using Bernie's vision, if you will, uh, in the city of Chicago. And for the first time that I can recall, uh, there is a group of aldermen in the Chicago City Council who are openly dedicated to the same sorts of programs uh, that Bernie Sanders has been uh, articulating his entire political career. And I think there are six or seven of them. I don't know. I know, Miles, you, Michael, you guys know the number by heart. But it could have an impact. You talk about a very practical application, Micah, of what Bernie is, has been articulating. We could be seeing that. I hope to seeing it in the city council. I'll just tell you this. It's been absent in Chicago. Uh, today, we were talking a lot about the fact that uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's uh, uh, nominee for health commissioner was suggesting that she would not reopen the uh, mental health clinics, even though uh, Lori Lightfoot campaigned as promised that on the campaign. And we saw a rebellion in the city council of aldermen saying, we are not going to approve you uh, because this is a very important issue. And they pulled her back. I don't know how that's going to be reconciled uh, in, in before all is said and done, but I'm hoping that for the first time ever, we're not going to be saying these types of programs are unrealistic and we can't ex- expect them, so don't even ask for them, but that we'll actually see a push for them. Uh, and Bernie Sanders will have a, had a huge part uh, in inspiring that. But do, are you, do you share the optimism or do you think I'm being too uh, uh, idealistic? No, here? yeah, these are our peeps here. Uh, the six members of the Democratic Socialists of America on the city council, plus, a, you know, a broader 
uh, current of progressive aldermen. I think the term progressive itself is kind of a slippery one. Like it can mean anything to anybody, right? It's socialist is pretty clear, but like progressive. I mean, Hillary Clinton called herself a progressive, which I can't. Who's to say whether she's right or wrong? Because it's just like a term that can you can put anything in the progressive box. Um, but yes. On the Chicago City Council, obviously, as, as you know better than anyone else, Ben, uh, we're in desperate need of people who will sort of take some strong and principled stances uh, in favor of a city that, uh, as we know, is awash in wealth and can actually be run uh, for the many and not the few. And I think it, that is going to come from that group of these new newly elected left-wing aldermen. And what we saw yesterday with them pushing back, you know, drawing a line in the sand saying the uh, closure of these public mental health clinics was exactly the opposite of what we should be doing in Chicago. And if you are going to put forward a, a mental health commissioner who uh, thinks that that was a good idea, then we're not going to allow that person to go forward. We're going to put up roadblocks against her because uh, this is a you know this is one of the worst in, uh, instances of, of austerity in Chicago in, in recent years. And these people were put into office precisely to oppose those kinds of austerity measures. Another issue, too, is that uh, what we've seen is that having a core group of really dedicated um, left wing representatives on city council can change the way that uh, city council is run effectively, because in so much in Chicago, we treat our um, older people as simply the people that are supposed to take care of you know, the driveways and garbage cans and everything, but they're not just administrators, they're legislators as well. And what we've seen, especially with this campaign to democratize ComEd, uh, which was, you know, backed up by folks like Carlos Ramirez Rosa from the 35th Ward and Rosana Rodriguez from the 33rd, um, both uh, DSA members, as Micah mentioned, but um, also just committed um you know, left-wing legislators that want to move the city in um, a much more left-wing direction, meaning putting more power into working people's hands. The campaign is to say, you know, we have this utility right now. It's run by a private entity that's making these profits off of us. We should put it under public control, like so many other utilities and municipalities across the country, where it's serving a public good, that the money's reinvested, and that lowers bills, you know, so it actually takes away costs from working people in the city of Chicago, and it provides more democracy. It gives us more of a say-so over, uh, you know, basic parts of our lives, which are utilities, you know, um, and that already has 22 uh, aldermen backing at that proposal. And it was just, you know, put, uh, uh, just introduced basically a few uh, weeks ago. So I think that that's an example of how quickly things can move now that we have this kind of renegade group in there. And I think that that is a perfect example of what can actually be done in a city like Chicago, where for the most part, I think most of the aldermen are not particularly uh, operating out of a super strong moral political conviction. They're just sort of like like being in power and they're there to do what <laughs> what what they're told to do, uh, at least a big chunk of them. And so when they see, uh, you know, something like the, the, the democratization of ComEd campaign, uh, you know, they don't really care one way or the other. If they sense that the wind is blowing towards this progressive direction, this left-wing direction, they'll get on board with it. If the mayor tells them not to do that, then they'll go the other direction. So we'll, we'll be able to see, like, there are actually, for once in the city, uh, competing uh, political currents in the city of Chicago, in the actual, uh, you know, legislature of the city. And we'll, be, we'll see sort of which one can uh, win out. They're actually competing in a way that we have not had much of in this city in the past. And what we know is that there's also just a general, <laughs> the, the biggest structural barrier to 
changing the way that the city is run, which is effectively a race to the bottom in terms of, you know, uh, austerity and, you know, uh, putting the crunch on working people in order to pay off these debts the city is in, is if we... Um, refocus how the uh, economy is approached in Chicago, and that is done through you know the demand that has been put forward time and again to actually tax the rich. You know we are an incredibly um, vibrant economic hub here in the Midwest, and yet the trades that happen on LaSalle Street are not being taxed. And you know there's we Rahm Emanuel took away the corporate head tax, all these avenues towards progressive taxation. We know that, you know, J.B. Pritzker is trying to get a statewide progressive tax put through. That's going to be a big fight coming up. But in Chicago, we could take steps to uh, implement more progressive tax regimes, which is the only way to change how um, squeezed working people are getting in this city. And that's finally actually on uh, uh, the docket because of some of these uh, progressive aldermen. All right. Very good. Do you got an update there? Our next uh, question here, it's round number three. By the way, it is uh, miles in the lead, 20 to 10. <laughs> well, Micah, it's your chance to tie, so do not worry, all right? Once again, multiple choice. Bernie Sanders' father, Eli Sanders, was A, a politician, B, a rabbi, C, a paint salesman, or D, a professional bowler. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he was, uh, he may have been a bowler also, but uh, I, I know that he was C. He was a, a Polish immigrant uh, who sold paint for a living. All right. Micah says paint salesman. Micah? That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> he was Tie not- game. A professional bowler. <laughs> Where'd you get that one? You know, this a quiz online. <laughs> Ben's loving it. A well, professional he, he, bowler. I'm pretty sure I heard Bernie say, I think I got my, my love for the great sport of bowling from my father. Wow, not bowler. bad. <laughs> Micah. Pretty good. Oh. And his dad was not a rabbi, but he did play a rabbi, Bernie Sanders did, in a movie from yes, uh, oh. 2000, 2001 called like My Ex-Girlfriend's wedding or something like that i forget yeah. exactly the name of the movie but you can see the clip online and it's it's i mean it's just burning oh, yeah, doing burning but he's got right. a yarmulke on and uh, therefore he's a rabbi uh, can, am i allowed to offer a trivia question that could be a tiebreaker oh. young dennis right here yeah okay. sure so the browns game's over if a winner gets this oh wow we have a decision to make i mean should we because yeah, then we throw another one out. all right we'll, we'll throw just one throw, last throw, one here we go for now all right here we go we'll throw this one out you it's only tangentially burning related so we've been and how do we answer to this do we whoever says it first how does this work uh yes whoever says it first whoever puts his hand and (laughs) (laughs) see what micah just did (laughs) last week we had romana and carrie reed i thought they were going to start this was going to start flying they're just kidding romana carrie but it was tense all right here's here's the deal hand up in the air first okay or should i let one go first then the other go second what do you think (laughs) see you're way in it here all right here whoever go. yells the answer first all right no hand in the air first we're gonna oh, have okay. order here all right here we go so you were just talking about how the spirit of bernie may be alive in the chicago city council and it may propel the alderman to rebel against lori lightfoot some of lori lightfoot initiative to push a more progressive a more real socialist should i say uh response one time in your lifetime one time and only one time has the Chicago City Council defied a mayor on an issue 
that could be vaguely called socialistic or progressive. Longest question on the planet. Please please tell me who the mayor was and what the issue was. Whoever has his hand in the hair first. I'm gonna guess that I'm gonna guess it was daily, but I don't I don't I don't know. The mayor was daily. Yeah, (gasps) was it minimum wage? You know what? No, definitely Very good, young Micah. Uh, Micah. (laughs) But wait, correct. But wait, wait. He knew Dan. We tag teamed it. Yeah, yeah. All right, we'll give him each five. All right, there'll be one more. Uh, Listen, we're socialists. We're not trying to. Yeah, they're socialists. They don't want to win. They just want to share it. (laughs) What's but you're right. It was daily. And it was uh, uh, it was the uh, big box ordinance. That's right. All right. Okay. Right. All right. I, I already know the tiebreaker. Okay, uh, but I'm not going to ask it. Yes. All right. So, um, uh, in continuing the spirit of Bernie, uh, Bernie has long articulated uh, Medicare for all, uh, and this week Micah had something happen to him that really brought home uh, the message, the need for Medicare for all. You've already uh, put it out there on Facebook. I teased him. Uh, he's like Justin Bieber on Facebook. He's Twitter, almost, Twitter. What did I say? You said Facebook. Oh, Facebook, my bad. I get in my social I media. I didn't put it on Facebook because I knew my mom would see it if I put it on Facebook. I didn't want her to. I didn't want her your to mom's it. not on Twitter? No, she's not on Twitter. I like your mom already. <laughs> but is she uh, listening to the bench? Yeah, 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 right. That's a real question. Yeah, there you go. Uh, wait, is your mom, is she, I don't want to get you in trouble. Is your mom more of the conservative persuasion? No, my mom's voting for Bernie, baby. She's a, a rank and file teachers union member yeah, oh, in yeah, West okay. Michigan. Yeah. All right, there we go. I'm hand in here. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, talk. tell people what happened uh, this week to you. Well, I was heading home. I had just had a had a great night. We went out to see uh, Naomi Klein speak about the Green New Deal, the Music Box with Alderman Rosana Rodriguez, and then afterwards it was also Miles' birthday, so we were we were celebrating. For the record, I was not consuming alcohol. I was I was sober on the way on the way home, but it was raining very badly, and I decided to bike home against Miles' suggestion. Miles <laughs> said over and over, "Just take the lift. Just go take a lift home. Leave your bike here. It's going to be fine." But uh, I did not listen to the birthday boy, and I really should have because on the way home at Western and Belmont, I got hit very hard by a very fast-moving car, uh, and <clears throat> I got knocked off the bike. I landed on my back, and I was in a lot of pain at first, and I thought I was really like in serious trouble. I mean, like I was sort of I was on the ground and just sort of like digging my heels into the street and like moaning in a way that I <laughs> that it, I don't think I've ever done before in my life and uh, I was laying there for what felt like a good minute or two and he, the guy who hit me had stopped he eventually picked me up and I realized that uh, I was not you know there was nothing that was visibly immediately clearly broken and so then immediately I had to th- go into the mindset of should I call an ambulance knowing that I just got hit by a car I'm in I am in pain I don't think anything is broken but what if I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I could go either way. Is it worth a call to the ambulance? I have insurance, but will the insurance cover it? I don't even know how much the, the ambulance ride would cost. Would, would they, I don't know, with all kinds of things going through my mind, like, will they, you know, decide that actually I, I was fine and I shouldn't have called the ambulance and so the insurance company won't cover it? I mean, I'm just like, all these horror stories I've heard of people getting stuck with bills for 500 or or $1,000 or $3,000 for an ambulance ride were going through my head. And all of this was happening, you know, moments after I had just been struck by a car on my bike, uh, a car who I mentioned just uh, who went didn't see me as I was going through a green light and hit me and admitted that he was the one who made the mistake and was really driving pretty poorly. Um, 
so this is what I was going through my whole my whole time, and uh, the the assessment I just came to was like, well, you know, I'm I'm walking around, I'm a little sore, I think I'll be okay, but I don't, I, you know, I'm not going to call an ambulance, I'm not going to uh, make this a big thing, and I also felt bad for the guy who was not a rich person by any stretch of the imagination, the guy who hit me, and so I didn't want to make life worse for him. So I just went home, but then the whole the whole time I'm home and the whole next day, yesterday, Thursday, I'm I'm wondering like, well, what if I have some kind of internal bleeding? What if I have something that isn't manifesting itself immediately? Or you know, what what I, I was literally thinking like, what if I die over the weekend? You know, from something that I couldn't see from the outside. And so, if I had lived in any other major wealthy country, if I had lived in Canada or Sweden or the UK or Denmark or many other countries, I would have called the ambulance immediately because I had just got hit by a car. And so when you get hit by a car, you should probably call the ambulance. But the money question just went into my mind immediately as I'm still reeling from the impact of the, of the car crash. And I, and, it, and then it just ate me up for the next day. I'm like, what, did I do the right thing? And eventually today I ended up going to uh, urgent care and getting an x-ray and I'm thankfully uh, fine. Uh, it was my back that's hurting. There's nothing wrong with my spine or anything like that. That's but, good to hear. but we don't have to live like this. We don't have to do this. Like I, when I tweeted about it, they're all, it, it, you know, got the tweet kind of went far and wide. And there are all these people from the UK and from Australia who were quote tweeting it and saying, Look, this is what, you know, in the UK, this is what the Tories, the right wing, wants to do to our national health service. They want to privatize it. They want to make it more like the American system. And this is the kind of stuff that we'll have to deal with if they succeed in dismantling the system. Uh, Same thing in Australia. People are saying the same things. We can't let... Uh, these right-wing politicians turn our healthcare system into an American-style system because we will have to deal with horrors like this person dealt with after he got hit by a car on his bike. So it just really made it. And and I also want to say, like, it not only was a reminder of how important these issues are, um, it it made me sort of newly mad at people who want to claim you know, centrist Democrats who want to say, oh, I believe in Medicare for all, but they won't actually fight for it. Like they don't see this issue of of medical care with the kind of fierce burning urgency that, you know, I feel on a daily basis just from reading horror stories of people. I was reminded of this story from Boston last year where a woman slipped and her her leg went got got mangled by a train and people like oh my god i gotta call an ambulance and she says no don't call an ambulance i can't afford an ambulance literally there with her mangled bloody leg out so you know when when people like kamala harris and people like pete Buttigieg and people like joe biden uh, want to you know claim to be these sort of uh, left politicians but they want to negotiate away they don't think that we can actually win medicare for all they don't want to fight for it i i just think of how many people are out there like me who get hit by a car in that situation or are crushed by medical debt and they just don't seem to think of it as that burning moral issue but it's 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 it has this horrible impact on our lives like we don't have to do this we could set up our system in a way like the people in the UK do where we, where you know th- when they get hurt they can call an ambulance without worrying about it destroying their life life for years afterwards so it was a very uh, personal encounter with the uh, with an emergency and you know it was I can honestly say that it was one of the worst 
times of you know moments in my life when I'm laying there on my back in the in the middle of the intersection of Western and Belmont and I'm trying to decide should I call in an ambulance rain. in the rain yeah it's just like a movie you know I'm just like on my back looking Bad at the sky movie. and I'm immediately thinking about medical costs and we don't have to do that we, we if we had a Medicare for all system we wouldn't have to do that and so I'm not going to give any truck to anybody who wants to uh, tell me that we deserve less than that we don't and to give some you know broader context that you know very uh, personal anecdote from Micah does underscore this point, but um, it's a nationwide phenomenon. You know, a quarter uh, of Americans say that they don't even go to the doctor because of um, they're, they're, they're afraid of the cost. And over 40% of people that get diagnosis from their doctor uh, don't get the care that they need because they can't afford it. So, you know, that's, that's not, that's not a healthcare system. That's like a health deprival system. And it's, Oh, when people, you know, like Joe Biden say that we, we, people like their healthcare, we don't want to take it away from them, which is what Medicare for all would do. You know, Rahm Emanuel's out here saying that 150 million people are going to lose their healthcare under Medicare for all. It's so cynical. It's as if, you know, that there we're living in some kind of a rosy scenario now, of course, not this is a really brutal and barbaric system that people have to live under and as micah said it doesn't have to be this way there's um you know other countries have figured this out how to guarantee healthcare as a right so you don't have to think about the cost of it it's free at the point of service so you don't have to you know have a credit card on you when you go to the doctor that's um you know, you don't have to split up your prescription drugs to make them last longer. You don't need to, you know, go across the border to buy insulin. Like there's so many ways in which this country could just be more um, compassionate. And it's not the majority of people I don't think are they don't love their their insurance company. They look their doctor. Maybe they like their hospital, but they're not, you know, uh, you know, saying prayers at the dinner table and thanking Blue Cross Blue Shield. It's just not happening. Well, they love the fact that they have health insurance period and they know that they could the alternative is that they have no health yeah. insurance so they're just happy for something uh, no, but, it, yeah. uh, any anyone who has uh, ever been at the negotiating table uh, in a in a contract dispute you you're a member of a union and they're talking about a raise versus uh, your premiums will know that nobody loves their health care <laughs> coverage. You may, like Micah said, love the fact that you have health care and appreciate it, be uh, relieved, but nobody actually loves their health care. I have uh, tiebreakers ready to hear to go. You want me to close it out, D, with the Absolutely. tiebreakers? Let's close it out, but before we get to the final question, <clears throat> Miles, Micah, where can people find you? Uh, I am uh, on Twitter at uh, at Miles K Lassen, uh, M I L E S K L A S S I N. Follow me there. Um, in these times.com. Check it out. I've got articles there. I edit articles there every day. So um, you'll see that. I also write for um, Jacobin occasionally, other places. So, um, you know, you'll see, you'll, you'll see me all around. Micah. Also, also, I should just say, I'm on the Ben Jarofsky show every That's Thursday. right. That's <laughs> what I wanted to hear. Yeah. <laughs> correct. That is it. Mueller agrees. Uh, Micah Utrecht, also on Twitter, for, for better or for worse, uh, M-I-C-A-H-U-E-T-R-I-C-H-T. Uh, I'm doing the daily editing at jacobinmag.com, J-A-C-O-B-I-N mag.com. We're also doing regular events at the In These Times office at 2040 North Milwaukee. 
prep. We just had an issue release party. We do issues with uh, events with authors all the time. And I got this book coming out in uh, March or April uh, called Bigger Than Bernie. So you'll be hearing about that. Hopefully be back on the Ben Jarofsky show to promote it again. Uh, yes. you know, you'll be hearing about it. Uh, I had you on with Brandon last time. That's I right. That was a lot of fun. Brandon Johnson, uh, who was for Elizabeth Warren. Find and, you, and you can find us both out on the picket line with the Chicago Teachers Union if that pops off in a couple if weeks. If that happens, yes. All right. Now, uh, we're, we have, uh, we're going to break it down to who is victorious in the great Bernie trivia contest. Uh, the winner gets uh, $1.5 million, isn't that correct? <laughs> yeah, 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 well, yeah, absolutely. To, to talk to Dennis. So oh, you, yeah. yeah. Is that coming from the CFL? Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's from Dennis. You know, the pride and joy of all the You're Illinois. welcome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're welcome, fellas. Uh, so, you might uh, give me a DVD or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a DVD. Uh, yeah, what was the one you just picked up? Oh, I bought a lot of them. I got Coming to America Friday. I bought Friday recently. Oh, Friday's Friday. great, too. Yeah. Uh, all right, so here we go. So we're going to do this. I have to figure this out. We're going to start with Miles. It's going to be like uh, in a uh, foot- college football game uh, overtime. We go to Miles, uh, give him a question. If you, and then we go to uh, Micah will be next. Uh, and then we'll go to Miles to see if he can win the whole thing. And if he does, uh, tough luck, Micah. Because uh, I run out of questions. All right, so here we and go. And I'm the underdog. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. You're the underdog. All right. I can't remember who the underdog is. All right, you're the underdog because he wrote the book on Bernie. But, of course, this has nothing to do with Bernie. For the I'm love of God, me. read the question. <laughs> All right, so a little while ago, you correctly together identified the issue of the big box ordinance uh, as the one issue which Chicago City Council voted against Mayor Daly on. <laughs> the music is cracking me. Miles, for 10 trivia points, who is the chief aldermanic sponsor of that measure? I'm stumped. You're stumped. Don't, don't got it. I think, I, think, I think it's somebody from the South Side. I remember it because this was a lot. This was like tax in Walmart and getting. Yeah, I, 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 I got nothing. You can win it all, Micah, if you can tell me the chief sponsor of that measure. It wasn't Joe Moore, was it? I need to have a definitive response. Joe I, Moore of the 49th Ward? That is correct. Bam! Oh, <laughs> correct. <laughs> Micah wins the tiebreaker. What? It wasn't Joe Moore. Does not constitute a correct answer. So you have to be definitive, right, D? Yeah. It's all like it is. Uh, Micah, well Mons, done. Well done. Well done. Uh, thank you for putting up with me today. I appreciate it. And uh, as we head off, I just want to say we're doing this uh, Friday, October 4th. So the, this will be, uh, you can hear this on Monday. Uh, I'm just sending out the best vibrations I got to the great Bernie Sanders. Hope he is well. Hope he is strong. Hope he can continue uh, the um, the campaign. Uh, he's, his campaign said he would be in the debate. Yep. So the debate's coming up, I think, on the what? Say what you will, you know, if you, no matter what candidate you're rooting for, you know, he's Bernie's a champion of the working class, so you got to you know, send him some love and prayers. You know how we're going to know if he's really up for continuing his runs, uh, the run for president, is if we see some more footage of him on the basketball court. <laughs> he's Bernie. got that killer bank shot. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie in the, uh, it was the arcade. It was one of those arcades. Oh, yeah, you yeah, see the yeah. arcade one? Uh, uh, he, he was knocking down shots. Knocking down one after. 
Wait, or the one where he fakes out the young kid. He does a pump fake and uh, then gives a bank shot. Ooh, fake. he kills him. He <laughs> destroys him. Uh, so, he gets his grandson. Uh, he, there was a movie, uh, a great movie, Dennis's favorite movie of last year, Uncle Drew. Remember that Oh, one? my God. I love it. <laughs> uh, I may be the only person who saw Uncle Drew. But, I, I uh, missed it. Uh, you missed Uncle the Drew. NBA players, right? That's Kyrie. Yeah. That, that is correct. Yeah. Can we give uh, trivia <laughs> It's over. Michael won. Uh, anyway, uh, Reggie Miller is uh, shooting uh, the same kind of bat. Baskets in the arcade that uh, Bernie Sanders. Anyway, whoops, just broke my pen. Oh, my. Uh, Mike oh, and Miles. It's just in. MSNBC's reporting it. Bernie does not like pizza. <laughs> okay. Oh, they are out yeah, to get him. They're really out to get him. Uh, Mike and Miles, thank you very much. Dr. D, thank you very much. Take care, everybody. Bye. The audience has a lot of Democrats in it. It has uh, Republicans, independents, Democratic socialists, conservatives. Uh, I want to ask the audience a question, if you could raise your hand here. A show of hands of how many people get their insurance from work, private insurance, right now. How many get it from private insurance? Okay, now of those, how many are willing to transition to what the senator says, a government-run system? Millions of people every single year lose their health insurance. You know why? They get fired or they quit and they go to another employer. I was the mayor for eight years. You know what I did, what probably every mayor in America does, is you look around for the best insurance program, the most cost-effective insurance. You change insurance. Every year, millions of workers wake up in the morning and their employer has changed the insurance that they have. Maybe they like the doctors. People are nodding their heads, okay? So this is not new every year. Now, what we're talking about actually is stability, that when you have a Medicare for all, it is there now and will be there in the future.